I'm going to start by um, saying good morning. And of course, like you said, my name is Reagan. I go to McNeese. I'm a senior in chemical engineering, and I got exactly what I wanted for Christmas, was which I passed all my classes. So very thankful for that. Um, I was born in Ray. Uh, I was born in Texas, but I was raised in Louisiana. I go to church over in Trinity, over in Lake Charles, so not that far away. It was a pleasant little drive over. Trust me, it wasn't far. <laughs> and um, I like to thank Pastor Kraft for having this opportunity and give it to me to talk to his heart. Like. Um, Brother Donald said, I was here earlier this year over in July, so I was a little bit probably more tan and had shorter hair and just want to thank him for letting me come back and obviously didn't do that bad of a job or he was just that desperate. So I guess we'll kind of see. <laughs> so start by saying Merry Christmas. And I think it's okay to say even the day after, you know. It only gets a little weird around New Year's time, you know. And then it's like, okay, it's a little, little strange. It's still saying Merry Christmas. And like, kind of like around New Year's, this is a free joke for y'all. You can say, um, see you next year on like New Year's Eve. But if you say that New Year's Day, then people will be kind of like a little confused. Like you don't really understand the joke or you just don't really like them. Like, see you next year. It's like, what is 2022? But anyways, besides that. See, uh, my family, a little bit about y'all, I'll tell a little bit about me. My family was a little strange um, when growing up, that is. We, we never went to church on, like, Christmas or Easter. We were always out of town. Like, all my family, they all lived in Texas or all over. So we never went to church during those times. But we went all the other times of the year. So only recently when we had to stay in town because, like, COVID or anything like that, was I went to an Easter service. And I was just like, oh, this is, this is pretty nice. Wow, okay. But... It was, I think it was more important that we went the other times of the year, right? Not just the big old celebrations that you see during Christmas or during Easter. So um, I want to tell a little controversial opinion for y'all. I think I can trust y'all. And it's pretty controversial. I understand if you judge me a little bit after this. But I love Christmas, okay? It's very, very controversial, I know. But the controversial bit is I only like it during December. Okay, you see these other people that they start starting Christmas right as soon as Thanksgiving is over, right? Or they start doing thanks, um, Christmas right after Halloween is over. Or you have Christmas in July. I'm like, no, oh, no, 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 no. When December starts, then we can start setting up Christmas, and then we can start doing the lights, all this other thing, right? And we don't. I don't really want to rush it, right? Then you get kind of get overindulged with it, and you don't really like it as much, right? And like whether it be the sometimes cold weather that we have, but mostly the brown Christmases that we have, we, we sing about all the white Christmases and you look outside and say, well, that's never going to happen here uh, until earlier this year in February, but it wasn't really Christmas time, right? Or it's the food, like our family always had like all these home dishes that we like to cook or whether it be like the Christmas gumbo or whatever, right? Or it's um, all, the, all the different movies that we see. Like, um, everyone has their holiday favorite, whether the Christmas story or something like that. Or you always see, like, they're making millions and millions of these Hallmark movies, where every single time they play this Hallmark movies, they're playing this, this girl, business exec lady, or the other guy, they have to go back to their hometown for some reason, where they find the true meaning of Christmas, right? But only in their hometown do they see the true meaning of Christmas. It's, it's kind of ironic, right? So... And of course, kind of as we focus on the end, sometimes we like to focus a little bit too little, of course, is baby Jesus or the coming of our Messiah. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to be looking at 13 through 16. And kind of as you're turning there or as you're flipping to it on your phone, I know what you're probably thinking, right? This is 16 chapters in. Hold up, hold up, hold up. This is not baby Jesus. What's going on? This is 16 chapters in. 
right? Or this is what like Linus reads during the peanut special. What, what's going on, right? Well, today I want to tell y'all a little bit about the true meaning of Christmas. That you've seen those Hallmark movies, but really what we really Christmas should be about. Today we're going to look at what Jesus was called then and how he is viewed now. And Christmas is one of the largest celebrations, and what that means for us, not that Jesus was a baby, but the man and the life and how we should respond. We're going to look at how he's viewed then, now, and how we should respond. So, if you will, I'm going to read. Now Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So now we're going to look at, at verses 13 through 14 and talk a, lot, a little bit about the background. It's easy when we're reading the Bible that we can skim back a lot of the context within the verses, right? So we see, now Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm sure it was from Greek to English, and before that it was Hebrew, and before that it was probably like Caesarean or something like that. So probably saying that wrong, but we see Caesarea Philippi. If we just read that, we might just think that it's a different place, right? We might think of it as a place like, oh, he just um, had to go leave for a certain bit. He had to go to Sulphur instead of going to Lake Charles or something like that. We're missing kind of the context of what this place was, right? So Jesus, again, withdrew, as we see early in the chapters, he withdrew from a mainly Jewish crowd of Galilee, right? And he came to a place populated more by Gentiles. And Gentiles, of course, would be like non-Jewish people. I think a majority of us in this room are non-Jews as we are Christians, right? So again, he reviewed from the Jewish crowd. He was kind of fleeing, as we see over and over again in the New Testament. And he came to this district, right? And it said, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? See, Jesus did not ask this question because he didn't know who he was, or he had some kind of amnesia, and he didn't know what was going on. He asked because, or he asked because he didn't have unnecessary reliance on what the disciples thought or what other people thought of him, right? A lot of times we like to come up with this idea around Christmas of what people think of us, right? So Jesus, he didn't need all that, right? He didn't rely on his disciples to tell him news about himself. He already knew who he was, right? He asked this question as an introduction to a more important question, right? So Caesarea Philippi was an area associated with idol and rival deities for the Jewish people, right? It was the time and the place of ancient Syrian Baal worship, right? And then over there, there rose a great hill in which a deep cavern, and the cavern was to be the birthplace of the great god of Pan, the god of nature, to another rival deity of the time. And also in Caesarea Philippi, as you can kind of tell in the beginning part of the name, there was a great temple of white marble built for the godhead of Caesar, a Roman rule, because they viewed that as the emperors came to a certain point, that man, they add them to the pantheon. There's just more and more gods. So they had a great pyramid or a great temple for Caesar over there. See, it's, Jesus, it's if Jesus deliberately set himself up against the background of the world's religion and all their history and all their splendor and demanded to be compared to them, right? And have the verdict be given. And the stage was the disciples to respond, and respond they did. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah are one of the prophets. And I just want to start by saying that these were not insults that we see. 
these were not insults that the people were kind of saying. They were just either misunderstandings or they were not really in depth of what was actually going on. So Jesus has set the stage and he's asking the question, who do they say that I am, right? And they respond. People thought that John the Baptist, John the Baptist was introduced early in the chapter. He was kind of setting the way for Jesus, right? He was setting the way, making the path straight for Jesus to come and start his ministry. So people that thought he was John the Baptist probably didn't know much about him. And they probably didn't know that Jesus and John were the same people, or they just knew that they were ministering at the same time, right? So we kind of can see that in days nowadays. There's people that know about Jesus, but... They don't actually know what he said. They just know about his followers, or they just know about his fame, right? John the Baptist, like I said, people call him John the Baptist. I imagine that if they're in the crowd, they hear Jesus preaching, and they're like, who's that? And then they kind of hear the disciples, say, oh, that's John, that's um, some crazy dude. It's like, no, 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 you're missing the point, right? And then yet, when we see the other people, they say Elijah or Jeremiah, along with the other prophets, were national reformers. They stood up to the t um, corrupt rules of their day, all in the Old Testament, we see their stories. And th they stood for what they wanted Jesus to be. Kick out the Romans and all the other rules. Let the Jews rise up. Let them be oh, where they used to be, right? They wanted Jesus to be this savior for them physically. They wanted him to kick out all this tyranny. They couldn't understand what they were going through or anything. So they wanted someone to come save them from the tyranny. And some thought they heard of national repentance, like John the Baptist. And others thought Jesus was a famous worker's of miracle, like Elijah. And some thought um, he spoke the word of God, like Jeremiah or the prophets. These are not insults that the people are saying. They are saying like these highly things, but it's not the correct way. It's not the correct message that we see. See, perhaps in seeing Jesus in these roles, people hoped for a political messiah who would overthrow the corrupt rulers and oppressing Israel. We were still looking for that today. We want pray and pray for God to help us politically. We think that what we need is political reform, and which is important, but it's not the ultimate message of Jesus. We're praying for a political Messiah to save us rather than an actual Messiah to save us from our sins. The general tendency in all these answers is to underestimate Jesus, to give him a measure of respect and honor, but to fall short of honoring him who he really is. Just like in Christmas time, we keep the old saying of keep the Christ in Christmas. But what does that actually mean? And not comparing him to the other religions, we live in a very blessed country or a very cursed country, depending on where you look at it, of Christianity is the normal. It is the normal, and so because of that, it's watered down sometimes. It's watered down to not the true Christianity, but rather a mirage or kind of what the people want it to be. So we don't have to compare it to the other world religions when Jesus asks, who do you say I am? We have to compare it to the other versions of Christianity that people want to portray for themselves. The one that makes them more comfortable. The one that agrees with where they want to go or what they want to do with their life. And who does Jesus want them to be for them? We want them to be an advisor and maybe a consultant, but not Lord. Not Lord that we usually sing about during Christmas time. We sing all of these great hymns, all of these great stories, but we don't actually listen to what they're saying and what they're proclaiming. We'll look at a couple of stories of what Christmas time really looks like in a watered-down Christianity, what we can see and what we need to make sure that we do not follow. So going to verse 15, what the people say about him now. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
It's important to note that holiday tradition, church tradition, takes priority over the understanding of Jesus for the holidays in most people, most people in America, most people nowadays. But this can still be an opportunity for the church to reveal why Christmas is one of the most important days for us and what they are doing by observing these financial Christian celebrations. But these people need forgiveness of their sins, not better church attendance. Jesus, and when we get to heaven, they're not going to look at our church attendance and say, oh, they went all the different days, all every single Sunday, even when there was a hurricane or something like that. Okay, they're allowed in. They're not going to look at our church attendance, but rather our repentance of sin. The Bible is clear, though, like in Hebrews 10.25. It is beneficial and it is needed that Christians meet together, but it's not what saves us. And we need to believe that forgiveness of our sins by believing in the gospel and repenting and made alive in Christ, and that is the true meaning of Christmas. But they never really get to that conclusion in these Hallmark movies, though. But that is the true meaning of Christmas, of the repentance and the coming king that we have. So I want to tell a little story for you all. It happened about last year. I, we just got done with finals, and I got invited by one of my engineering friends to kind of go to a little bonfire. So it was, it was cold outside, so luckily the fire wasn't kind of smoldering us out. So I said, um, I'll, I'll go see it, because I knew a couple of the people that were going. I said, I'll go see just for a little bit. And so when I got there, I went to this old rundown kind of house, and they said, oh, yeah, this is our own little house. It's like, it's very nice. I like the um, missing wall. It's, it's a very nice kind of thing. And they got there, of course. They had the bonfire going, as much wood that they could find. And, of course, drinks were being um, handed out. As I, they asked me if I wanted some. I was like, I politely declined. I said, no, no, thank you. I'm good. And they're all coming up like this. And then eventually I recognized one person in the crowd and one person there that I, I kind of hadn't seen in a while. See, they were drinking, of course, and then the person I recognized was someone I had seen my freshman year, and I had seen all through growing up in church. And he was kind of slurring his speech, and he came up to me and said, oh, hey, Reagan, how you been? And we kind of like catch up, and like, oh, hey, man, uh, how are you, how you, how you doing? And he said, oh, you know, you know, I changed my major, I did all this, and yeah, here I am. And so, uh, we kind of talked about how we didn't see each other that often, what was going on. And then he asked me if I was still involved in the church and what, what was going on with all that. And I, I told him, I said, yeah, um, actually I'm leading the college Bible study uh, next week, on, on the next day. And I invited him, of course. And he's like, oh, yeah, he came up with some excuse. I can't really remember it now. But he, he said, no, no, he didn't want to go. It was okay. Thanks for the invite, though. And then after that, he kind of just kept repeating and over and over, ah, I need to get back in church. I need to get back in church. Ah, yeah, I know. I need to get back in church and stuff. And that is a favorite line for us to use when we experience, especially around Christmas time, the amount of guilt. Or we can see other people start to use when they, they, they hit with that guilt of, I, I need to get back in church. As if that's the solution for our lives or for their lives. We must be sure to communicate that the church attendance is not the solution to their lives or our lives, but rather it is the message of Christianity and that they're in their need of who they call Jesus, as we see in this text. A person that they need or a person that they know about. Do they just know about what other people say? Do they just know the stories that are being told around them, or do they actually know him personally? And how we were friends with him. Unfortunately, my friend never did show up that the next day and stuff. I tried to contact him a couple of times, but it was kind of just faded off. And that I need to go back in church kind of, again, faded as you look at his social media page. And you just get hit with that sense of guilt. And when we're hit with that sense of guilt, 
it's a matter of how we respond or how we let other people respond. I wish, looking back, that I told him, church attendance is not what you need. You need to get right with Christ. You need to realize this. And church attendance comes naturally because of that. You grow here in church, but you get saved by Christ. It was fine for the disciples to know about what the others thought about Jesus. But Jesus asked us, as individuals, what do we believe about him? This is the question placed before all of us who hear Jesus and not of just who he is, and it's not him that's judged by our answer, but it's us that's judged. In fact, we answer this question every day by the, what we do and what we believe. If we respond and we believe in Jesus, who he really is, it will affect the way that we live. So the question is next, how should we respond? We see later in verse 16 of what Simon Peter said. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, Peter, he gets a bad rap throughout the New Testament, but he also has some good things to say. It says specifically that Simon Peter responded, right? So we know that he is the one that first stepped up. Now, this might be a conclusion that the disciples came upon later, but he's the one that stood up and said this. And now he's also the one that faulted when he walked on water, all these different things, but he was still the one that responded first. And I'd like to start about how strange it is to celebrate Christmas as just a holiday. As I mentioned in the beginning, all the different holiday celebrations. And then you're prone to say, well, happy holidays. And if we celebrate Christmas as just a holiday, and we just sing along to the music and not actually listen to what it's saying, we're missing so much. And what the celebration is needed on the first place. See, on Christmas Eve, we acknowledge the long-awaited Messiah, right? The long-awaited Messiah has been born, the climax of the entire Old Testament, and the basis for our understanding of the New Testament is found in a manger. The miracle that is that. I like to make a point of responding to Christmas rather than just knowing about Christmas. We need to realize that the day after Christmas, nothing changes besides Christmas decorations might be being put away, or we might keep it up until the new year, and then eventually it's put away. When we might joke as we're kind of walking around or as we're driving by about the neighbor that leaves up their lights all year round, right? He leaves up the lights all year round either because he's lazy. But figuratively, we should respond in the same way. To Christmas, to respond to it year round. And if we really do believe the words of the carols that we sing and the world-altering significance of this nativity scene, we should be able to put on display of what we believe. Light the Christmas lights, lights all the decorations. We should be able to respond and display to the world what we really believe. And we can't have all the comforts and the traditions of Christmas without confronting our need to follow and recognize like Peter responded. And at one whose birth we sing about without a second thought. You might be sitting there in a coffee shop or something like that and you hear joy to the world. We don't get offended when we hear joy to the world, even though no one's recognizing it like that. We only get offended when it's another thing or it's another thing that we think we should care about. But the people that get defenses over the rights to a Jesus and a nativity scene and then live the rest of their lives like he doesn't matter. You see, a lot of times we want sweet eight pound, six ounce new baby Jesus to just remain in the manger. We want him to remain in the manger. He seems a lot more harmless in there. And he seems like he's not going to affect our lives as much. We want him to remain in it as a baby. We don't want to focus on the life that he lived. We want to sing about the baby that he was and nothing more. But folks, if we just remain as a baby, then we don't grow as individuals, like I said last time I was here. See, Peter knew the opinion of the crowd. While it was complimentary towards Jesus, it wasn't accurate. 
Jesus was much more than John the Baptist or Elijah or a prophet. He was more than a national reformer. He was more than a miracle worker that they were wanting. He was more than a prophet that just merely spoke the word of God. As we see as Peter responded, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. We can summarize this and it was an understanding that, like I said, not just Peter probably said, but the other disciples came to over time. In the beginning, they were probably attracted to Jesus because of the remarkable or unusual rabbi, and then they committed to himself and themselves to him as the disciples or as students as was practiced in that day. Yet over time, Peter, and presumably the others, came to a point of understanding that Jesus was not just, in fact, the Messiah, the Christ, but also the Son of the living God. These are the steps that we should see in our own lives, not just recognizing Jesus as he is or being attracted because of what people say that he can do for us, but coming to the understanding that he is not just the Christ, but also the Son of living God. See, Peter understood that Jesus was not just the Messiah, but like I said, God himself. The Jews properly thought that to receive the title, the Son of the living God, is in a unique sense, was to claim to deity itself. So this was not just claiming that he was some miracle worker, but it was claiming that he was God himself. See, the adjective living might be and perhaps been included to contrast the other religions that he was portrayed against. Like we said in the beginning, all the other different world religions were around him, right? And then all the local deities, those were all the dead gods. This was, we're talking about the living god. The adjective of living changes that. And then as we talked about earlier, all the different versions of Christianity, the watered-down version, and here we're talking about the living version, the one that is alive in Christ. Not just talking about Jesus as a manger, not just talking about Jesus as a guy that did, did some good works and then had some good teachings, but really the Christ and our Messiah. So as we get closer to kind of wrapping up, I always like to end kind of a yes, but how, right? A yes, but how? Like you, we can listen to all this and we can say, okay, yes, this is true. Yeah, this is true, but how, right? It's the but how, of how should we respond, right? It's important to us to realize the difference between gospel beliefs and then generic theism or moralism. And I, I know those are big old churchy words. Like we wouldn't use those words in normal day speech, right? So what do I mean by generic theism or moralism? Do y'all remember the show VeggieTales? I remember it was prominent whenever I was growing up and stuff, and I think they're doing a whole new round of it. And there was a little thing that I read earlier this year that talked about the creator of VeggieTales, Phil Visker, and he talked about his regret of making it. And when I saw that kind of headline, I was like, what do you mean he regrets making it? That was, those are some good songs, what's going on? So I kind of read the article, and I had to pull it back up, and he's quoted in saying, I look back at the previous 10 years, and I realized I had spent 10 years trying to convince kids to behave more Christianly without actually teaching them Christianity. And that was a pretty serious conviction. You can say, hey kids, be more forgiving because the Bible says so. Or hey kids, be more kind because the Bible says so. But that isn't Christianity. It's morality. See, we need to hammer in our view and understanding of Jesus. It's not just a baby and not just the stories, right? And I came up with a little feat for y'all. The whole gospel and the whole Bible summarized in one sentence. Now, if there's any English teachers out there, I'd love to hear if I'd made it a run-on sentence or anything like that. But here it goes. It is the story of creation, subsequent fall, fall restoration, final restoration, and fall of final humanity that God accomplishes through the death, resurrection, and return of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
I'll repeat that. It is a story of creation, subsequent fall, final restoration of fallen humanity that God accomplishes through the death, resurrection, and the return of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that one sentence is the entire Bible summarized. And that, that one sentence is what the creator of VeggieTales wished he were explained more. Rather than, hey, you need to act more like a, a Christian, to you need to act, you need to know what being a Christian is. See, it's the difference between there is a God who loves me is not the same as we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. We like, we like, I would like to have stated that there are three people that we can find ourselves to be a part of, as we saw throughout there, as Peter or as the other disciples were talking about, right? Those who know Christ or have a vague understanding of him, like we see when they call him John the Baptist. Those who know, uh, know Christ has a, but have a mis- kind of meaning, or they have a misunderstanding of what his word was and misimplied it to their lives. And those who respond like Peter, saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then you talk about the need for all of those different people, the ones that know about Christ but don't really know what his message was. They just know like his fame, or they might know his followers, and the need to re- recognize him as the Savior. And they know that, that know Christ but have a misunderstanding of what they call of us in this world. And the ones that responded like Peter, saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the need to focus on how to spread that truth and how to live it out in the rest of our lives. So as we wrap up and end our time of response, let's truly respond to Christmas and the true gospel. And ask yourself, are you more worried about the traditions and sentimentality or the party or all the different things that you want people to see? Or are you more worried about the life-altering realities of Christmas and what it really means when Peter says, you are the Christ? And all of that scripture points to Jesus as not only the Son of God who became man in Christmas time, and on the sacrifice that he made for us on Easter time and overcame the grave. See, we can respond to God now and forever, but we don't want this opportunity to pass, right? We, don't want, to be, we want to be like Peter and proclaim it now, the truth that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and what that means for our life. So I'm going to go in a prayer, and I think we have one more song. I just want you to kind of, as we go into prayer and as we sing, really just look to your left and right and maybe ask someone to pray for you, right? And what God is calling you to do or how we should respond to this, right? And also pray for as we go over and go into the new year, that we not just wait to a new year to make better, right? Not wait till a new year's resolution to do better, but rather respond now, right? I pray that you do not waste this time, no matter our age, no matter our status. So I'll lead us in prayer, then we can begin. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, just thank you for every given us and that we can call you Christ. And we can call you Lord. And Lord, I just pray that as we get closer and as we, um, we come to this reality, that we just focus on you. And I realize that Christmas time is not about us. It's not about the holidays. It's not about the movies or anything like that. It's all about you and that it really points to you. And as we get caught up with life and as we get caught up with all the distractions, let's just remember that it's all about you and just focus on you. And as we see and hear in this chapter, Lord, just how we respond and how we view you and shapes our actions and shades that we are displayed. And I pray that we focus on that. And if we don't know, then we can reach out to someone who may know as Christian or maybe even today and reach out. What does it actually mean to be a Christian? What does it actually mean to be a Christ follower that like Peter claims? In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.
Thank you.